This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Art Curious fans, it's warm weather season, and that means porch and pool time is upon us. All you need now is a good book to read, and I have got just the thing. Pick up your copy today of Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history, published by Penguin Random House. Read about the supposed Leonardo masterpiece, Salvatore Mundi, and how it became the most expensive artwork ever sold at auction. About the secret connections between the Central Intelligence Agency and abstract expressionism. And learn why so many people think a British painter was the real-life Jack the Ripper. Support your local indie bookstore and buy the book celebrated author Bridget Quinn called A Passionate Pursuit of the Innately Interesting. Thank you, Bridget. That's Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. By me, Jennifer Dassel. Available now. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by AnchorLight, home to a 1,500-square-foot zero-commission gallery providing exhibition opportunities to emerging artists. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. Please note that today's episode of Art Curious contains language discussing violence and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine yourself as a university student based in England, crossing the myriad pathways of your campus's beautifully manicured landscape, located just outside of London. Though your campus is indeed a sight to behold, with its red brick towers, white stone accents, and green quads, you've got little mind to stop and enjoy the sights today. In fact, you're hurrying to find your way to the college's picture gallery, the campus art repository that has occasionally been repurposed for end-of-term examinations. Just like any student might, you are probably experiencing a variety of understandable anxieties about your impending test, wondering, did I study hard enough? What score do I need to make my top marks for this course? That's enough to send your stomach into knots. But you, a student at the Royal Holloway, now part of the University of London, has further reason to feel unease about your upcoming exam. Because in the picture gallery stands a painting long declared cursed, a canvas upon whom any number of maladies has been blamed. Nightmares, many failed exams, illness, madness, and, most extreme, suicide. Your heartbeat quickens, your palms begin to sweat. Will this painting play upon your body and mind today? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. This season, season nine, is all about curses in art and archeology, span a topic that was suggested by you, our listeners. And today we are continuing with a supremely chilling painting by an English master, and the urban legends, equally chilling, that surround it. Today, it's Edwin Landseer's Man Proposes, God Disposes. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, 
the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. The story behind Landseer's eerie and cursed painting is an interesting one, stemming from the founding of the Royal Holloway College at the end of the 19th century. Royal Holloway was established by businessman and philanthropist Thomas Holloway in association with his wife, Jane. Though he founded the campus in the late 1870s, the school wasn't officially opened to the public until 1886, when none other than Queen Victoria herself sanctioned it as an all-women's college, and one of the first places of higher education available to women during the Victorian era. And like practically every college, especially of that time period, it was deemed a necessity that the school begin its own art collection, one that would stand as both proof of the importance of the arts to the development of a well-rounded person and as a signifier of the college's wealth and ability to wheel and deal in both culture and commerce. Because of this, Thomas Holloway began to collect what he considered to be the finest of contemporary art as early as 1881, with an interest in purchasing works that would be of considerable interest for his female audience. And that determination makes his particular purchase here all the more interesting. Because it doesn't fit into any female-focused art collecting stereotypes and gender discrimination that we might opt to imagine. There are no sun-dappled impressionism scenes here, no ladies in white dresses, no still lifes of exquisite flowers or fruit. Man proposes, God disposes, is instead a sizable painting of an icy Arctic landscape, all whites, grays, and blues, showcasing two fierce and ravenous polar bears, their fangs bared frighteningly. On the left, one of the bears savagely tears a crimson piece of fabric from a large wooden pole, assumed to be the fallen mast of a ship. That the bear struggles to pull the tattered and weather-worn sail is frightening for two reasons. The first being that the color of the sail reads immediately like it is stained with blood though it's probably not. But it does remind us that bodily gore could have been a part of this scene, because what else other than a horrific accident would bring a shipwreck to the Arctic? On the other side of the fallen mast, the second polar bear is captured in the act of chewing on bones, his fangs bared and eyes closed in pleasure or primal focus. Beneath him, more bones linger, and it's almost immediately noticeable that the bones are indeed a human ribcage. And looking closely, there's further evidence, though perhaps less gruesome, of a previous human presence. A brass scope, extended as if once in use, has been abandoned on the far left. Scraps of additional fabric, including a blue segment, reads like a uniform that once clad a very ill-fated man. Was he the former owner of that ribcage that's now serving as a polar bear's lunch? At any rate, there's precious little here that isn't cringeworthy or even a bit terrifying to the casual viewer, which makes its purchase for Royal Holloway a very curious one. But more than that, the painting wasn't a purely imagined scene meant to shock and awe. It was, really, a reminder of an actual terrible occurrence that was only a few decades past, the ill-fated Franklin Expedition of 1845. 
chances are good that the phrase, the Franklin Expedition, would have immediately struck a member of the Victorian public with visions of imperial heroism and awful tragedy. A story of a group of enterprising men hoping to do good for their country, but facing instead an awful reality. It began, naturally, with good capitalistic intentions. John Franklin was an explorer whose expeditions aimed to benefit British merchants and to expand the ease of trade between Great Britain and the rest of the world. During the mid-19th century, Great Britain was an international powerhouse with a booming economy and worldwide reach. Still, this was a hundred years before air travel became inexpensive and common, and trade voyages between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans were long and expensive. So John Franklin aimed to discover the long-rumored Northwest Passage, or the sea route that connects the Atlantic and Pacific and traverses the top of North America through the Arctic Ocean. For centuries, this had been a preoccupation for members of various European nations, and in the 19th century in particular, that great age of discovery, there was this huge push to officially claim a particular route, and John Franklin was going to make it happen. He was going to do it in the name of Queen Victoria and the honor of Great Britain. And by all accounts, he was going to be successful because Franklin had everything going for him. A crew of 129 men, three years worth of supplies, and two top-of-the-line Royal Navy ships, the Erebus and the Terror, a ship whose name now seems strangely prescient. The Franklin crew had everything going for them, and so they set out on May 19, 1845, to much fanfare and hope. Coming up next, things don't quite go so well for the Franklin expedition, and one British painter sows the seeds of nightmares. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Sax.com. If you've been listening to Art Curious for a while, then you know that I absolutely love the feeling of learning something new, which is what I get every time I watch or listen to The Great Courses Plus. With The Great Courses Plus, you'll get thousands of hours of fascinating content across hundreds of topics, like exploring ancient Greece, or checking out the world's most significant archaeological sites, or even learn how to raise your own chickens. I personally tried my hand at a bunch of courses, including ones on drawing, world religions, and photography. And I can watch or listen anywhere at any time with the Great Courses Plus app, which is updated with new content every month, including video, audio, and guidebooks. I really want you to check out the course that we've chosen to pair with this week's episode, which I am sure you'll find fascinating. Their brand new course, Notorious London, a city tour. From following in the footsteps of Jack the Ripper to the Blitz during World War II, from the decadent world of the incredible Oscar Wilde to Carnaby Street in the swinging 60s, Notorious London will give you centuries worth of history in 12 wonderful lectures. 
This streaming service is truly a must-have. And as always, I have an incredible deal for my listeners. Get a free trial plus 20% off when you sign up for an annual membership. But you have to use my special URL to get it. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com art. That's a world of knowledge for less than what most of us would pay on coffee each month. So don't miss out on this great deal. Go now to thegreatcoursesplus.com art to get your free trial. And my listeners will also get 20% off the annual membership. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by BetterHelp. There have truly been times in my life where I've needed some assistance to figure out what I wanted from life and how to find the happiness I deserved. And that's why I turned to BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is here to help you too. With BetterHelp, a professional can assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist with whom you can begin communicating in less than 48 hours. And it is so convenient because you can connect from wherever you are in a safe and private online environment, and you can message, call, or video chat with your therapist, all instead of commuting somewhere and sitting uncomfortably in a waiting room. And BetterHelp also makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. Whether you're looking for help with depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, LGBT matters, self-esteem, or anything, and you don't have to limit yourself to someone who works near your home. Believe me, I've used BetterHelp and it is so easy. And I loved my counselor I connected with. And even if I didn't, it would have been so easy and free to change counselors if I wanted. It's confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. And financial aid is available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely. And check this out. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. As an Art Curious listener, you're important to me. And so I want you to start living a happier life today. By visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling by visiting betterhelp.com artcurious. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's at betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. Art Curious is sponsored by Ana Luisa, which makes incredibly beautiful, ethically crafted, and affordable jewelry that is meant to last a lifetime. Ana Luisa, that's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, creates items that are timeless, chic, and crafted with your budget and the planet in mind, with prices beginning at just $39. So there's no luxury markup, with items produced in limited batches with carbon emissions offset, so there's no excessive waste to the earth. And to me, that is an incredible gift, which means Ana Luisa items are incredible gifts too. These pieces are absolutely perfect for Mother's Day or for a little gift as a way to treat yourself just because. I recently got my hands on a pair of their Hana Marble Blue Earrings, which are gorgeous gold and enamel earrings with a stunning pop of blue that just grabs your attention in such a wonderful way. For a mom on the go like me, it's the perfect way to amp up my look and to make myself feel chic even when I'm just writing at home. I can dress it up or down, and it's durable enough to be a standard now and for many years to come in my jewelry collection. And now is the best possible time to snag some goodies from Ana Luisa because of their amazing Mother's Day sale happening now with 15% off all of their products. 
The last day to guaranteed standard shipping before Mother's Day in the U.S. is Wednesday, May 5th. So order now to get a sweet, special present for your mama or as a gift to yourself or another loved one. For a 15% discount on all pieces, go to analuisa.com slash artcuriousmd. Go treat yourself or your loved one today and use my offer code artcuriousmd. Check them out now at analuisa.com slash artcuriousmd, code artcuriousmd. Welcome back to Art Curious. By 1848, when the stores of the two ships would have run dry, the Franklin expedition had not returned to Britain, and no word was received of the ships. At this point, naturally some concerns were raised, and various search and rescue expeditions were sent out with the hopes of locating Captain Franklin and his crew, to no avail. With each passing year, hopes of any return of the Franklin team diminished further and further, until it was almost a surety that the members of the expedition had perished. But no details were ever determined. Until, that is, nearly ten years after the expedition's departure. In 1854, a Scottish explorer named John Ray was undertaking his own explorations of the Arctic when he came across a community of Inuits who relayed a story about a party of Europeans who had met an awful fate. Disturbed by the story, Ray also understood its importance, considering the then-unknown fate of the Franklin transport, and thus he sent a report to the British Secretary of the Admiralty. In a long letter, Ray wrote, quote, In the spring, four winters past, a party of white men, amounting to about 40, were seen traveling southward over the ice and dragging a boat with them. None of the party could speak the Eskimo language intelligibly, but by signs, the party was made to understand that their ship, or ships, had been crushed by ice, and that they were now going to where they expected to find deer to shoot. From the appearance of the men, all of whom, except one officer, looked thin, they were supposed to be getting really short of supplies, and purchased a small seal from the natives. After a later date the same season, but previous to the breaking up of the ice, the bodies of some 30 persons were discovered on the continent, and five on an island near it. Some of the bodies had been buried, probably those of the first victims of famine. Some were in a tent or tents, others under the boat, which had been turned over to form a shelter, and several laid scattered about in different directions. Of those found on the island, one was supposed to have been an officer, as he had a telescope strapped over his shoulders, and his double-barreled gun lay underneath him. From the mutilated state of many of the corpses and the contents of the kettles, it is evident that our wretched countrymen had been driven to the last resource, cannibalism, as a means of prolonging existence." Unquote. Though Ray didn't come out and officially confirm that these wretched countrymen were the Franklin party, it was nevertheless a pretty good guess that it was them. And when this news spread around England, it caused a huge outcry and gripped the public for months. How could such a promising, well-prepared, and well-funded expedition fail so spectacularly? How could men from one of the most powerful and civilized countries in the world succumb to something so monstrous as cannibalism? In this way, it mirrored the horrified response that the French had had only a couple of decades prior when the story of the atrocities that befell the French frigate, the Medusa, circulated across Europe. More on that, and the painting by Jericho that it inspired, in Art Curious, episode number 51.
And as we've seen throughout history, this outrage is met by a true fascination, which means tragedy, like sex, sells. The British public could not get enough of all things about the Franklin tragedy, especially with that cannibalism hook. It's the same thing that still piques our macabre interest today when someone whispers the Donner Party to Americans. This all-too-human obsessive streak led many prominent figures, including politicians, publishers, and other explorers, and, of course, artists, to lean in hard to this tale and to capitalize upon it. Again, more Jericho vibes going on here. Among those producing the most interesting work on the Franklin tragedy was Edwin Landseer, an artist who, at first glance, seems both an odd choice and the ideal candidate for a painting like Man Proposes, God Disposes. Landseer was born in London in 1802, and his father, a well-known engraver, took the boy under his artistic wing and recognized early that the young Edwin was a prodigy, with particular interest in painting animals. In many ways, he's analogous to our much-beloved artist and star of Art Curious episode number 64, Rosa Bonheur, an animalier who herself was known to some as the, quote, French landseer, unquote. Though really, I'm totally okay for our purposes in calling landseer the English Bonheur, but that's just me. It's his animals that made Landseer a well-known and highly sought-after artist of his time, with some even referring to his canvases as animal portraiture, to describe just how much personality and charm he infused therein. He was hugely popular with those dog-loving Brits, and even Queen Victoria herself claimed him as one of her favorite artists and knighted him in 1850. And if you ever visited London, you probably have seen Landseer's works without potentially even realizing it. The four bronze lions that flank Nelson's column in Trafalgar Square are his iconic touches to an iconic monument. Many of Landseer's animals are a touch anthropomorphized in that they are often described with human qualities of dignity, bravery, and the like. Or they act as stand-ins for their human counterparts. If you really want to see a slightly sappy, but otherwise just incredibly heartbreaking painting, just Google Landseer's painting, The Old Shepherd's Chief Mourner, and get the Kleenexes handy. By the time that John Franklin and his team were departing on their unfortunate journey, Landseer, though still hugely popular, found himself facing some increasing difficulties. In 1840, he suffered what most historians believe to be a nervous breakdown, which was sparked by the death of his mother. Throughout the rest of his life, his mental health declined, and he experienced struggles with depression, addiction, and hypochondria, all of which doctors at the time attributed to, quote, melancholia. And as Landseer's ailments increased, his artworks changed in tone from sentimental, charming, and appealing to darker and more pessimistic. In particular, he was drawn to Darwinistic themes like survival of the fittest or the triumph of nature over man, both which feature hugely in Man Proposes, God Disposes. Landseer went to great lengths to properly fill his painting with not only the most accurate details, but also the darkest ones, too. For the human bones and other remains, like the ripped cloth and the cast-aside scope, the artist gleaned details from the most popular book on the Franklin disaster, an infamous tome by Francis McClintock called 
The Voyage of the Fox in the Arctic Seas, in search of Sir John Franklin and his companions, from 1859. McClintock led an expedition to follow in John Ray's footsteps, and to conclude that Franklin's team were indeed those wretched countrymen that Ray had discovered in the Arctic, and to celebrate their honorable lives, all while noting the grisly details of the site of the team's demise. Landseer mined McClintock's tome for everything, from the, quote, ghastly hue of the polar lighting to the ravaged discovery of a skeleton. Taking it one step further, he studied polar bears in action at the London Zoo, and even wrote to a leading paleontologist named Sir Hugh Falconer for the loan of a polar bear skull in order to paint the animals as true to nature as possible. The result was one of the most disturbing paintings of his career, a painting so shocking that Lady Franklin, Sir John Franklin's widow, was so horrified that she couldn't even bear to look at it. Even the title itself is super grim, its tidy internal rhymes nonwithstanding. Men like Sir John Franklin may have had great plans, but ultimately at the behest of fate, or God, or the whims of the universe. Now, by no means was this a strange concept for art and literature in the 19th century, as it falls squarely into the category of romanticism, which we discussed again in our previous episode on Géricault. Romanticism was all about big emotions and grandeur and drama, and the supremacy of the natural world was a huge part in this movement throughout Europe, and certainly it played a big role in England at the time. But Landseer's painting here doesn't provide viewers with any kind of hope. Nature has won here in the most appalling way, turning men first upon each other through violence and cannibalism and then annihilating them entirely. All that's left are these polar bears scavenging the remains of a once-lauded company of men. It's not a work that memorializes the members of the Franklin expedition. Instead, it blatantly highlights their failure to conquer nature and to live up to their anticipated goals. It's a reminder of their brutal end. Landseer, too, had an unpleasant end with his health failing and failing until he was declared insane in 1872. He died the year later, in 1873, at the age of 71. Coming up next, we'll discover how Landseer's creeptastic painting got to the Royal Holloway and how it has potentially afflicted decades of students. Stay with us. Today's episode is sponsored by Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. They are committed to providing exceptional vision care both online and in stores, offering a stunning range of eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and even eye exams. Glasses start at just $95, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. And what's super cool and also pretty fun is that Warby Parker offers a personalized home try-on kit, which gives you the chance to try on five pairs of glasses in the comfort of your own home before making your decision. Warby Parker will send you five frames of your choosing for you to try on for five days. So you get to test things out, get the opinion of family and friends, and basically get to live with these glasses, which is important to see if they are going to work for you and your look. 
My home try-on began with a really fun quiz that allowed me to hone my style, like choosing square frames over round ones and deciding if I wanted to do a funky color or not. Then Warby Parker selected a bunch of options for me to consider, and then I got to choose the five pairs to try. Super quick, painless, and fun. And plus, it gave me something to look forward to in the mail, which is a great bonus. After five days, I got to send my frames back in a prepaid return box, and I ordered my fresh, all-new, personalized-to-me pair of glasses. Easy and stylish. Now you can try Warby Parker's free at-home program, too. Order five pairs of glasses to try at home for free for five days, and there's no obligation to buy. Ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash artcurious. That's warbyparker.com slash artcurious. Over the last year in quarantine, I've made a lot of purchases, especially online. I've got a lot of makeup, some spray paint for some crafty home projects, and I even dabbled a bit in making my own clay jewelry. And let's not forget the trips to get takeout and mezcal from my favorite local restaurants. Now, think about all the quarantine purchases that you've made over this past year, and you're probably forgetting one of your biggest purchases of the year, insurance. Americans overspend on car and home insurance by billions every year, and that's money that could have been spent on more retail therapy. That's where The Zebra can help you. The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site for car and home insurance. In minutes, you can compare policies from every major provider for free, all on one independent marketplace. After answering a few quick questions, The Zebra will then pair you with the right insurance company for you, which helps everyone save time and money. You can then buy online or over the phone with one of their licensed insurance agents. And there are no hidden fees or fine print about your personal information. Best of all, the Zebra has no stake in the policy you choose. They're just there to help you find the right coverage that's perfect for you. Make insurance your smartest purchase yet. Visit thezebra.com slash art. That's T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash A-R-T. Thezebra.com slash art. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious. Almost two decades after the completion of Man Proposes, God Disposes, it went up for auction in London, which is where Thomas Holloway, the founder of Royal Holloway, came upon it. Like Landseer before him, and really like most people in London in the 19th century, he had been enthralled with the good expedition gone wrong tale of John Franklin and his men. It meant something to him. Enough that after his death, it was discovered that he had squirreled away piles of newspaper clippings about the Franklin disaster. Whether or not this was due to more than human interest, we don't know for sure. But we do know that such interest inspired him to purchase the Landseer work at that auction in 1881 for a price of 6,615 British pounds, which, by the way, was the highest sum ever paid for the purchase of a contemporary work of art at auction in London at the time. So shout out to our last season on art auctions. 
He had it installed at the picture gallery at Royal Holloway. And as Laura McCullough, the current curator at Royal Holloway, notes, its inclusion in the college's art collection does make some kind of sense, although perhaps not at first glance. Thomas Holloway, remember, was trying to set up his brand new women's college as a place for minds to grow, to expand, a place for the debate and understanding of all of society's issues. Landseer's frightening painting could be a catalyst for a good many topics of conversation. Man's connection or disconnection to nature, ideas of fate or religion, of environmental factors and any number of scientific experiments, even perhaps whether such expeditions were important or necessary. Surely, this was Thomas Holloway's hope. But one wonders if it ever inspired much debate for the first half century of its display, other than about whether or not it was cursed. Laura McCulloch notes that almost immediately after Man Proposes, God Disposes ended up in the picture gallery, reports began to spread of headaches, nightmares, and, you know, just general feelings of doom. At end-of-term exams, students were disturbed by the beady eyes of the fierce polar bears, and several indicated that the painting affected them so much that they attributed any poor grades and failed courses to its presence. Each year, a new class of students, which included both men and women after the Second World War, found reason to fear man proposes, God disposes. But as the legend holds, things only grew more dire. And depending on what version of the story you hear, it reached a breaking point in either the 1920s, the 1930s, or the 1970s. And please be warned that we are about to get gruesome here. According to college lore, a man was seated next to the painting, as many had been over the years, to take his final exams. During his test, he couldn't help but look over, again and again, at the macabre painting next to him. The bear's teeth bared, their black eyes glinted, the tongue of one lolling against a cracked rib in that desolate white space filled with wreckage. And in that instant, spurred on by academic pressure and the painting's curse, the man was driven insane. And in his fit of madness, he took his sharpened pencil and stabbed himself through the eye. Deep enough, the legend says, that he never made it out of the testing hall alive. And just in case it wasn't clear why the man committed this horrendous act, he left behind a very telling note to elucidate matters. Scrawled on his unfinished test were seven eerie words. Quote, The polar bears made me do it. Unquote. The tale of the cursed Edwin Landseer painting at Royal Holloway is a strange and fascinating one. But I must confess that, like the other curses we've been discussing and will discuss this season, it's probably nothing more than conjecture, a great urban legend carried down from student to student over the college's storied history a way to titillate incoming freshmen, perhaps, and ingratiate them into the community with a story. We connect to one another via the stories we share, regardless of whether or not they might actually be true. And it's thus probably not surprising that there are no records to indicate that anyone committed suicide within the picture gallery at Royal Holloway, or even that anyone has ever scrawled an ominous warning about the painting on their final exam. Naturally, the fact that the timeline has seemed to change over time adds that level of incredulity, 
because the suicide either happened in the 20s or the 30s or the 70s or who knows. Maybe someone will claim to have the inside scoop on the event, which actually maybe happened during the 90s. But what's most interesting is that even though chances are spectacularly good that this is all a fascinating myth, Royal Holloway isn't taking any chances. Ever since the 1970s, a new tradition has taken hold. During exam times, man proposes, God disposes, is always covered up, typically with a Union Jack, the national flag of the United Kingdom, which was the only thing large enough to cover the painting way back when the urban legends began. That way, those beady polar bear eyes will not glower over the students. It's the one thing we can truly verify about the Landseer painting. Its power today, perhaps, lies not in being cursed, but in its capacity as a holder of story and superstition. Coming up next time, it's an episode I almost wrote back in the first season of Art Curious about one of the most majestic and avoided palaces in Venice. And why do big-name buyers chicken out from purchasing it in two weeks? Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Jordan McDonough. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast production services are provided by our friends at Kabunki. Subscribe now to their new show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, hosted by Josh Dassel, and visit subgenrepodcast.com for more details. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means that you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support. To find the donation links and for more details about our show, including this episode's reading list, transcript, and more, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at artcuriouspod. And we have podcast merchandise. You can support our show that way and get yourself some goodies like t-shirts, tote bags, notebooks, and more. Please check out our link to our tea Public store in the show notes on this episode or on our website. Check back with us in two weeks as we explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in potentially cursed works and artifacts in art history. <laughs>